Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Door, a weekly broadcast that examines what Lutheran Christians believe about God, the world, and us. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will take questions at 740-383-9944, that's 740-383-WWGH, or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Good morning, everyone. We thank you for joining us for the Wittenberg Door here on this second anniversary of WWGH. Uh, so I guess uh, the uh, anniversary... Day. Now, what are they doing for the anniversary here today? Um, we're going to have... Uh, Scott's going to do some interviews and uh, have a uh, roundtable discussion. Uh, fortunately, I won't be here, but... Uh, Terry should be here. Scott will be here for the and uh, Charlie Evers and uh, and Marge Hazlett should be here. Okay. And a couple other people are coming in as well. Um, basically, going to have cake. So you stay around and have some cake. Oh wow! Yeah. See, now, we, what did we just talk about, Sean? Oh, I know, right? <laughs> I wasn't planning on eating anything. Sean, I know, right? You're, you know, like you're the voice of the devil over I there. <laughs> I, I got, I got the. Well, I, won't, I, won't, I, won't, I won't be here for the cake anyway. But you won't be here for the yeah, cake. I'm, okay. I'm leaving here in a little well, bit. Well, I'm getting out of here before the cake yeah, gets here. <laughs> yeah. I, I love cake, though. I, I know myself, yeah. You ever, you ever had cake and put milk over top of it? Oh. Oh, no. No, I've never that. done that. But oh. but any kind of, uh, you know, when they have, like, graduation cake or wedding cake. Yeah. You know, like, um, tailored cake. Oh, man, that's that's the best. That is? Oh, yes. You just got to really be careful. Yeah, L&P. Oh, yeah. they have the uh-huh. best cakes. Ever. L- is it L&P? I just, yeah, I just get you out of Marion here. Oh, L&P's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. All right. Well, so uh, today is, uh, this week is, this weekend, is actually the third Sunday after Trinity. And uh, so, uh, as you know, folks, what we do here on this program, a lot of what we do, is we uh, look forward to the lessons that we're going to be learning this coming weekend at Gethsemane Lutheran Church. And, um, uh, you know, uh, our church, uh, which is Lutheran, uh, has some similarities to Roman Catholic and, and Episcopalian in that we have what is called a lectionary. That, that is, we have uh, designed lessons. Um, we have uh, uh, portions of scripture that are read uh, each Sunday of the church here. And... Um, and so uh, it's a, <clears throat> kind of a catechetical tool, uh, catechesis meaning instruction, and you get to to uh, learn all these parts of the Bible and the main lessons of Scripture, and you do it on our on our lectionary. Kind of do it on a on a yearly basis, and so uh, the lessons that we read today. Uh, will be read next year at, at about the same time. Uh, the uh, church calendar is, it, it varies a little bit from year to year because some of the festivals that we celebrate are based on uh, the lunar cycle. Right? So uh, so some, uh, some celebrations like Christmas is always December 25th. Easter can be anywhere from March 26th to April 25th. And so, depending on that, uh, you know, the, the lectionary moves around a little bit from year to year. And we have Lee Hall with us today. Lee, how are you? Good morning. Doing well. Good. And uh, so, we're going to dive right into our lessons this morning. 
And Lee, would you read for us uh, the first lesson, the Old Testament lesson? This is from Micah, uh, chapter 7, beginning at verse 18 from the, New Eng uh, from the uh, English Standard Version. Who is, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is really a wonderful passage of scripture. Micah, who's writing about 800 years before Christ. Micah is a prophet. He's a minor prophet who is a contemporary of Isaiah. And um, Micah is writing at a time when the, when the people of Israel have sinned, when they're, uh, uh, when they're hearing from the prophets um, about God's judgment. And yet, uh, you know, the judgment of God is never God's principal reason for speaking to us. Uh, I think this is something that, that people don't quite realize about the God of the Bible, is we expect the God of the Bible to be, uh, you know, judgment, hell, you know, it comes into play. And, uh, uh, you know, we have this kind of this innate sense that comes from our conscience that we deserve worse than we're getting, right? Right. Now, that's true. We deserve much worse than God gives us. And, uh, and yet, the principal reason that God speaks to mankind is not, that he, not so that he can express judgment. Because really, we already have that without hearing from the God of the Bible. We already have it in our, in our conscience. Um, people, boy, oh boy, people suffer from their conscience sleepless nights and, you know, restless days, uh, uh, broken relationships because of issues of conscience. And uh, so we already have that with us. You know, every religion in the world um, thinks about judgment of some sort or punishment for crime. You know, even in even in Eastern religions where you don't really have a personal God, uh, what do you always hear about karma, right? Yeah. Yep. Karma's going to get you. Instant karma's going to get you, John Lennon says. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, you have it in Judaism, you have it in Islam, uh, because in these man-made religions, uh, they are expressing something that they're learning from their conscience. But when we come to the God of the Bible, and although, yes, God does reinforce our conscience with his word, the principal reason that God speaks to us is to show us his mercy. And that's what Micah is amazed by. You think, listen to what Micah is saying. He's really, he, he, you, can, you can hear the awe. Oh. Well, we don't want that, do we? You can hear the awe in Micah's words, right? Uh, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity? You know, the, the, God of, the God of Israel, the God of the scriptures, 
the, the God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right, yep. is characterized by mercy rather than by judgment. And Christians should remember that not only for others, right, when they are, uh, when they are in kind of, I don't know, points of contention with others, that, uh, that God is a God of mercy. But, boy, even for ourselves, we need to remind ourselves that, that God is a God of mercy. Well, here's, here's Micah just marveling over the fact that God pardons iniquity. And, w- and we all know what a pardon is. A pardon is re- a release uh, that you're not going to suffer the consequences of your crimes. You know, usually when we think of pardon, we think of what? Presidential pardon, right? Or maybe a, a, a governor will give a pardon sometimes. Well, what is a pardon? When, a, when, a, when the president gives you a presidential pardon, what is that? It's, uh, it's a, a statement of um, complete exoneration. That means uh, no one can hold you accountable for the thing you've done. That's what a pardon is. And so Micah says, God pardons iniquity. My friends, God is here to pardon your iniquity. Did you know that? Did you know that God is here to pardon your iniquity? Well, uh, he pardons iniquity and he passes over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. What does it mean to pass over transgression? It's when you don't take it into account, right? Somebody insults you and you just let it, you know, but it gets water under the bridge. All right. Well, here he God passes over transgression. He does not retain his anger forever. Doesn't say that God doesn't get angry. That God's righteous. God, you know, anger is is a righteous response to to wrongdoing. Um, but he does not retain his anger forever. Why? Uh, Micah says because he delights in steadfast love. You know. Uh, and this is this is what we need to remember when when we delight in the punishment of wrongdoing, as we often do. You know, you hear about something in, that happens in society. You read something in the newspaper or hear about something on the news, and and you just think, you know, uh, several weeks ago or a couple weeks ago, I guess back, there was the. The, uh, the, the group of teenagers that broke into the man's house here in Marion and just beat the guy to a bloody pulp. And, uh, and, and you hear a story like that. And I don't know about you guys, but my first instinct is to, is to really want justice for the victim. Uh, and... Um, and we have to be careful that that sense of retribution isn't something that we delight in, right? Right. Because God does not delight in retribution. Uh, Micah says God delights in steadfast love, so he passes over transgressions and he pardons iniquities, right? So wonderful. Uh, he says he will... Micah says, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. This is really what I love about what, what Micah is saying here. Is it, it is as if what God is doing with our iniquities is he's separating our iniquities from us. 
you know, he's, he is still angry at the sin. But he's not angry with us. And what he punishes is sin and not the sinner. So that really what happens is it's our iniquities that are God's enemy. Your iniquities are God's enemy, not you. And that's an important distinction. Because if you're in the enemy, then you have nothing but terror from God. But when it's your iniquities that are the enemy, uh, then, then you are rescued from them. And that's, 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 what, I, that's what Micah's uh, marveling at here. He says, uh, he will tread our iniquities underfoot, and he says, uh, and then he speaking of God in the second person, he says, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Now, we live in an age of, uh, of um, these treasure hunters like Robert Baird. Do you remember who Robert Baird is? Robert Baird is the guy that took the deep sea diving equipment down to the floor of the Atlantic Ocean and found the Titanic. Remember back in 85? Uh, so, you know, it used to be that when a ship went down, the ship went down, it was gone. But now they, nowadays, they're discovering all kinds of, well, they, they found the Titanic. They found, uh, these guys, these treasure hunters are going down, and they're fan, fan, finding these um, old Spanish galleons that, uh, with, uh, with all the, uh, what's that? Oh, with all the gold, you know, these these Spaniards that came to the New World and took as much gold as they could, and and then their their ships sunk on the way home. They're finding these things now, right? And um, so we live in an age when you can actually go down to the depths of the ocean and find things. But Micah's writing in an age when once that thing went much below the surface, it was gone forever, right? You didn't find the Titanic. And so this is what God is saying about our sins. He's saying, Micah is saying that God takes our sins and he puts them in a place where they'll never be found. Now, isn't that wonderful? Right? Uh, isn't it wonderful, by the way, in an age where everything we do leaves a record? Uh, I went down to Tennessee two, three weeks ago, and I uh, was at a, uh, of course, at a Civil War battlefield, right? And uh, I took some pictures while I was there, and I took some pictures at the campsite, which was about 10 miles away, in a place called Cooter, Tennessee, right? Uh, and I put a new program on my phone that, that kind of categorizes my pictures. Well, this, this program pops up, and it says, do you want to save your pictures from Cooter, Tennessee? Do you want to save your pictures from Shiloh, right? So, in other words, my camera, my phone, knew where I was, when I was, where I was, and it tracked the whole thing. Without me, I didn't have to label the picture. I mean, in a way, it's kind of convenient. But you think about everything you do as being tracked and a record is kept. Our government. Oh, always has been. Yeah. There's a there's an old 80s song, um, Christian song. It's called uh, Recording Artist. Uh-huh. 
you know, God sees everything. Yeah, yeah. Everything's in the recording. Right, right. Our government, the NSA, is building these huge complexes, right? So that they can take the data that they gather from us and they can store it. They can keep it. But they can find it when they need to find it, right? And what does God do? He takes our sins and he throws them in the depths of the sea and he forgets about them. God forgets him. He doesn't keep a record of our sins. He forgets our sins. Now, if that's not good news, I don't know what is. Okay, so uh, Micah continues, you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. He's talking about, in other words, he's going to be faithful to his people and he's going to love his people. As you have sworn, Micah says, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. In other words, God does all this because he promises us in his word that he will do it. You know, when God makes a promise, God's going to keep it. God's not going to fail his promises. He's not going to fail his people. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, right? Yeah, he, he will do this, but for those who reject the salvation, uh -huh. their, sin, their sins cling to them. Yeah, yeah. They're not washed. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, you know, there there are some who say, and I, and I, you know, when Jesus dies on the cross, he dies objectively for every person. That is, uh, Jesus paid for your sins, whether you believe it or not, whether you receive it or not. Uh, your sins have been punished at the cross. Now, you may not receive uh, the benefit of that because you don't believe. Uh, and, and that's the great tragedy of, of the salvation that, that comes to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, the great tragedy of unbelief is that uh, what is available to us is not received because we, we turn away from it. We reject, we reject the gift. God gives us. And yeah. And then what do we have left? It, it, it is a little bit like clinging to our sins and and not wanting to give them up. Um, yeah, that's uh, it. it uh, but God, but God wants us to know that he is characterized not by the desire to punish. He delights in steadfast love. And so he speaks these things to us so that we'll know his mercy. And I, you know, what well, we, Hope everyone here does know his mercy. Okay, what's the, uh, what's the next lesson? Uh, the epistle lesson uh, is from 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, Lee, why don't, you, why don't you remind everybody what an epistle is? We, we talk about an epistle lesson. Uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a letter that's, that uh, has one of the church fathers, has uh, usually Paul, has uh, sent to an early congregation. All of these are first generation. And, and usually the apostles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in this case, it's the apostle Peter, who uh, our Lord refers to as the, as the rock. Uh, he's, the, uh, he's the first leader of, 
of the Christian church. Petra. Peter in, in Greek is Petra, which is a word for rock. Petra means rock. So usually these uh, epistles are sent around to the churches in the first generation to correct some misunderstanding or some bad behavior that's crept into the church. Uh, many of the epistles refer to things... Or to share that, some insight into the good news. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but, it's, but it's always to, uh, to build up uh, the, the church, yeah. not, to, not to be critical. Right. Right. Uh, so, in, so in this case, we have Peter, uh, and we—he's writing to Christians everywhere, not to a particular uh, uh, congregation, and that's why it doesn't have the name of the congregation. Most of the epistles refer to the city or the congregation. Romans or Corinthians yeah. or Galatians. Yeah, right. these case, are called the Catholic epistles. That means universal. So here in, in uh, chapter 5, beginning at verse 6 through 11, the English Standard Version, uh, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> and this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, it's, uh, it, it's instinctual for us human beings uh, we want to be strengthened. Uh, we want to be established. Uh, and we think that the way to achieve this is by, you know, pushing our way in, um, clawing our way to the top, you know. Uh, uh, Paul McCartney says, when you got a job to do, you got to do it well, right? <laughs> and we all know what the rest of that is. Uh and, and we think this is the way, you know, to, to, to really exalt ourselves above the other and above others, uh, to, to, to establish our own kind of superiority. And that's the way to get ahead in the world. And so here's this kind of this counterintuitive message that Peter is, is, is telling us. He's saying, no, uh, the way to do this as believers in Christ is to humble yourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Don't try to establish your own superiority. Uh, don't worry about establishing yourself. Don't worry about uh, your own strength um, because God is going to do it for you. How often, by the way, do we see in Scripture, in the Old Testament especially here, that see this all the time, all the time, where the people of Israel are being attacked by some enemy and God says, look, just just hang back and watch me. Watch what I do, right? Uh, Gideon, where Gideon has the soldiers of Israel blow trumpets rather than, and, 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 and sends home thousands of, of soldiers and retains 300 who, who have musical instruments. He keeps the band, right? He sends all the soldiers home and he keeps the, the, the military band. 
and he yeah yeah healthy uh, and he keeps the weaker ones well when it comes time uh, the enemies of Israel turn the swords on each other so God knows how to get this done right and uh, and really what Peter is telling us is uh, be humble uh, act toward each other with humility and the reason we do this is because Peter says you have an enemy the devil who prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour and resist him and be firm in your faith knowing that that yes you're going to suffer just like your fellow Christians are suffering and boy how many how many examples of this do we have in the news just in the last year of Christians suffering for their faith. Even little children uh, who are called to suffer and, and suffer to the point of death uh, for their faith, and, and they do it and receive the crown of life from their Lord. Um, even here in America, where, where in matters of conscience, uh, Christians have, have, been, um, have, have received persecution from, our own, from their own government. So yes, suffering will come. And, uh, and the thing to do, Peter says, in suffering is to entrust yourself to a faithful creator who will strengthen and establish you. He will confirm you. He will restore you. He says here at the end uh, God, that God himself in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And uh, it's not an easy, not an easy message for us to hear, but uh, yeah, a common misconception is that God needs us to do something. Yeah. That uh, you know, as the as the army of God, so you know, so goes some songs, mm -hmm. uh, as if we were we're to resist, and and we are to resist, but yeah. we're supposed to do it in prayer, trusting that God does see everything. Yeah. I think what happens is. Uh, is that a lot of us, when we see an injustice happen, uh, we get our nose out of joint, and and uh, we think that it's up to us because we've seen this injustice. But the reality is God has seen the injustice, and he says he will replay, repay. Yeah. Another part of Scripture says, uh, leave vengeance, you know, vengeance is mine. I will repay, yeah. Yeah. So so we really, we really should heed what Peter's telling us here Amen. not just because it's the word of god but but also because uh god's made it very clear in other parts of scripture that you know, that that this is his business yeah. we don't know the motives you know that's this that and the good news that. is that god has already done it yeah god has already done already done it in christ who who humbled himself uh, before the will of the father came took on our nature took on our sin, went to the cross, suffered and died for us, rose again on the third day, and we are confirmed and established and strengthened in him. And, uh, it's okay, and we have the gospel lesson. Why don't, we, why don't you read the gospel lesson for us today? Now, these, this is actually, folks, um, by the way, the gospel lesson is actually two lessons we're going to read to you today, but, I, but it is one lesson. Uh, in other words, uh, the the people that designed the lectionary 
made it two different lessons, but it's really teaching the same thing, and um, and it's directed to the same purpose. So one really helps you understand the other. So why don't you read for us uh, both those lessons, um, Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after that one that was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Uh, by the way, let's, um, let's stop there for a second because what is Jesus teaching us here just in, this, in these first few verses? Uh, it's in the context of what? We have Jesus eating with sinners, which is something really that, that did not happen. And by sinners, uh, we're talking about... Uh, uh, notorious sinners. Uh, everybody's a sinner, but uh, but these were prostitutes, these were outcasts, these were tax collectors, um, and people who uh, uh, normally in society just really would not associate with these kind of people. And yet we find Jesus associating with them, and the Pharisees, who were maybe the good religious people. Uh, they grumble about the fact that Jesus receives these people and he eats with them. By the way, and we, this is something we just don't understand in today's society, the way they felt about to sit down and have a meal with somebody was to really, um, uh, well, oftentimes, you know, it's like uh, when you go to the Chinese restaurant and they'll, you know, you have uh, the kind of the individual uh, menu choices, but have have you ever gone with your family and had the family dinner, right? Yeah. Where everybody's eating out We're of one. Sharing. The yes, yes, and that's kind of really what a meal is when you have a meal with somebody. So Jesus is is sitting down and he's having a family meal with prostitutes yeah, his, uh, and tax collectors. Meals were intended to be kind of intimate. Very intimate. That's right. Yeah, and uh, and when you when you ate a meal. In, in first century Judaism, uh, when you ate a meal, actually uh, in other cultures too, you were lying down. They reclined to eat and they would, you know, uh, kind of like when you watch TV, ever like lay down in, on the floor in front of the TV and you prop yourself up on one elbow and you watch the game or whatever you're doing, right? And uh, that's the way you would eat. You would eat with one elbow propping up your the upper half of your body, and and the rest of it was a little couch. You were laying on a little couch, and there were just couches rather than chairs. Leonardo da Vinci had it wrong. Um, uh, these were couches, uh, and and the table was maybe you know four or five inches off the ground or off the floor, and uh, and so it was a very intimate thing. You were actually laying down beside each other to eat. And uh, can't help but think of the twenty-third Psalm where David says, "Thou preparest the table before me, yeah, in the presence of my enemies." Yeah, yeah. And uh, and and who are we when he prepares that table for us? Who are we? Who are we reclining with? We're, we're reclining with our Shepherd, our Lord. Yeah. 
which is wonderful. Well, here, the, the, here are the Pharisees who, who said, they're like, you know, these people, they don't deserve to have this kind of intimacy with, with holy people, with God's people. They don't deserve a share in, uh, in the um, uh, joys of, really, really what they're saying is the joys of heaven. Because each meal was, was really meant to be kind of a foretaste of, of the great feast to come. And, uh, and, and so by excluding these prostitutes and tax collectors and treating them as if they were Gentiles, um, uh, they were excluding them from the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, look, these great notorious sinners are the people I've come for. And he and he the, so he gives this example of a man who loses a sheep, has a hundred sheep, loses one, goes after the one, finds it, puts it on his shoulder, and brings it home rejoicing. God is glad to have the sinner. God is you know, and what a wonderful thing by the way when we uh, when we feel like we've completely blown it. And uh, and you know when when other people in your life. You know, uh, even father or mother, maybe sometimes you've you've done something so bad that even your own family disowned you. And in those moments, when you've experienced that, what a comfort to know that God will take you in, that He won't disown you. He will, He will treat you as His own, and you can find mercy and love, steadfast love. In, at his table. We're here, these Pharisees, and they're grumbling about it. So he tells them this parable. The parables to them. In other words, look, you guys, you should be rejoicing with me rather than grumbling about the fact that somebody who doesn't deserve it is getting this kind of treatment from God. Well, in fact, none of us deserve it. All of us are the lost sheep. Every one of us. And it's Christ who, who calls us and brings us into his table. Uh, okay. Now, the next parable that he tells is similar. Why don't you read that for us? Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and, and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Even so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. By the way, uh, remember, folks, this is one sinner who repents. It, it's not one unrepentant sinner. And this is an important distinction. God does call us to repentance. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your sin is. God is not going to hold your sins against you. He is going to throw them in the depths of the sea. They are going to be forgotten. He is going to pass over all your iniquities and transgressions. But he calls you to repentance. And, uh, and so when Jesus talks about the joy that God finds in the sinner, he, he's talking about the, the one sinner who repents. And so Jesus is calling you to repentance. Turn from your sin. Turn from those things that you think are giving you satisfaction, that you think are giving you uh, pleasure, uh, or that you think are giving you security. 
turn from them and and find the mercy of Christ and 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 come home to his table and he will treat you as a, as a son and this is uh, then we come to this last um, so Jesus tells this series really of, of three parables the first is the lost sheep the second is the lost coin and now this last one is the lost son so let's uh, let's read the last one here and he said there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came he and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And when he called one of the servants and said, uh, what, asked what these things meant, and he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your, your command. Yet you, have, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Hmm. This is a remarkable story. It's very compelling. And it has all the elements of of just a, a, a really great story. Um, uh, a relationship, uh, you know, a careless son, and really a a son who says to his father, "I wish you were dead." That's really what the uh, what the son is saying to the father by um, uh, by saying, "Father, give me my share of the inheritance." Well, when do you get an inheritance? You get an inheritance after somebody dies, right? And so th- what this kid is saying is, I can't wait till you die. 
I want what you have to give me now. And it even says that uh, the father takes his, uh, and, and the Greek word here is bios. He takes his life and he divides it. So everything that he's earned as uh, uh, in his life, everything that he's gathered, everything that his life and his efforts have represented, um, he he uh, he asks him to uh, uh, to take it. Uh, so the son takes uh, the son takes this his father's life, and he. And he doesn't even, he's not even thoughtful with it, right? He takes his life and he wastes all his father's efforts. He goes off and he, he lives this reckless life, this, this party life. You know, he goes, he goes off to the campus and he, ha- and he has keggers every night, right? And, uh, and he spends his money uh, Prodigally, and by the way, uh, this is uh, this parable has been called the parable of the prodigal son, and that that word prodigal means wasteful. So this son is, he's just he's just it, this is an offense. This is offensive. What this son is doing with his father's life, with his father's wealth, and who would not be offended? Of course, the uh, the older brother is, is definitely offended. Well. And then after he's wasted it all, he, uh, he, he, there's nothing left for him. And he finds himself in need. He finds himself uh, in, a, in a pigsty, feeding pigs, which, uh, you know, not to the Jewish listener, this element of the story really means that this guy has been humiliated, right? He is, he's, this, is, this is the worst of the worst, this is the worst kind of occupation you could ever know. Jewish people were never pig farmers. But this guy, because they were unclean animals, but this guy has become a pig farmer or works for a pig farmer. And until he comes to his senses, and here's no, another important element of this story, that the guy has to come to his senses, the sinner has to come to his senses and see that he's wasted his life and understand that God has something better for him than, than he's able to generate himself. In other words, uh, have that willingness to return to the Father's house, which is what he does. So you have this wonderful element here. He come, he, 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 he's going to go back. He's going to apologize to his father. He's going to repent. He, he actually has repented. In other words, he's, he's sorry for what he's done. And uh, he's remorseful that he's in the condition that he's in. And as he's coming, and, and, and Luke tells us, that uh, Jesus tells us that while he was still a, a, a long way off, the father looks and sees him. And he runs to him. Now this is something, again, that the Jewish listeners of this parable would have said, wow, because a, a man, you know, we see people, we see men running all the time out, out for exercise, right? But in that culture, men didn't run. That was, uh, you know, that's what, that's what uh, servants did. Yeah, our children. So. Yeah, our children. Well, here's this guy, he runs to his son and he embraces him and, and the son doesn't even get through the apology, right? This is really, this is really a great part of the story. 
because we can never apologize really to God. Um, it is, uh, God doesn't, he's not waiting for that, right? Uh, before we ever get the words out of our lips, God is already embracing us and, and clothing us in the perfect righteousness of Christ and, and treating us as a son and bringing us in and killing the fattened calf, right? And, uh, and so these, these are very beautiful elements of this story. But the reason that Jesus tells this parable is for the benefit of the Pharisees who, uh, when they see the ministry of Jesus, they're wondering why Jesus has all this special treatment for people like tax gatherers and sinners. And where is their special treatment? You know, if he's a rabbi, if he's, if he's really a, a man of God, then where's their, uh, it's kind of kind of like, you know, when you want to reward somebody or you want to you keep somebody loyal, one of the things you do is you give them certificates, right? Uh, you give them awards. And, and these guys, they've been faithfully serving God, they think, and uh, studying the scriptures and praying and not doing the things they shouldn't do and doing the things they should do. Where's their certificate? Where's their recognition? Where's their goat? Yeah, where's their goat? Where's their fat and calf? And uh, and uh, and this is w- and this is the elder brother who is angry with the father because the father has received his son back mercifully. And uh, and so what Jesus is telling us is, don't don't look for your certificate. You know, don't look for your fat and calf. Uh, that's coming, by the way. But but rejoice that. Sinners are turning to Christ, and that and that people are are coming home to the Father, and uh, that the Father rejoices over these sinners who are repenting. And uh, so we get we get encouragement from because we are sinners. We are the sinner. We are the prodigal son. And how much time we have? Uh, about two minutes. Okay, and. Oh, we got a, a call. Oh, well, well, let's uh, take a. We'll end the, the the session with a call, I guess. Yeah. Where are you located? Uh, are you talking about the radio station? Yeah. Uh, in the mall at the old Toggery. Where at? Marion, Ohio. Marion, Ohio. No. The Marion what? Center Mall. I know, but you're you're not there. The, the, we're we're here. Yeah, just just keep walking around the mall, and you'll find us. You'll find us. Yep. Finish. Okay. So, folks. Uh, well, listen. Uh, you know, it's it's about time to end today. Uh, I just want to say thank you for joining us. And uh, if you don't have a church home, we invite you uh, to worship with us, Gethsemane Lutheran Church. Uh, we're at two nineteen East Church Street in Marion, downtown Marion, Ohio. Uh, our services are Saturday at 4.30 p.m. and Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Uh, so you're welcome to come. Uh, uh, and um, if you have missed part of the program, you want to hear it again, uh, the, uh, uh, the program will be rebroadcast Sunday morning at 9.13 a.m. and next Wednesday evening at 7.13 a.m. And so uh, thank you for joining us. We hope you'll join us again next Friday. Thank you. Satiate, confident, consuming me.